I were to ask you to show me some great men of faith in the Scriptures. Where would you take me, and who would you show me? My guess is that many of you would first take me to the book of Genesis. That's what we've been doing in our Men of Faith series for our equipping class. And you would probably take me first to maybe Noah, Abraham, maybe Enoch, for those of y'all that know Genesis pretty well, right? He walked with God. Noah, Abraham, Joseph. Then you'd probably take me on to, to Exodus, right? And tell me about Moses. Then you'd take me to the book of Joshua and focus on him. And then you'd probably turn your focus toward Samuel and then on to David and then on to the great prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. And then you'd take me to the New Testament. You'd talk about John the Baptist and then Peter and and John. And then you would take me on to Acts to talk about Peter some more. And then on to talk about the Apostle Paul. But Let me ask you this. How many of you would take me to Acts chapter 6 and 7? How many of you would mention Stephen in this great list of godly men? How many of you would consider Stephen to be a hero of the Christian faith, a champion for Christ? Well, this morning, I'm going to make a case for Stephen you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 6. For the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this lesser known yet pivotal player in God's kingdom story. I believe this man is one of the greatest men to ever live. And though he didn't live a long life, he lived a full life like Jesus. His ministry, though brief, made a huge impact in advancing God's kingdom. We first learned of Stephen last week in the first part of Acts chapter 6. We mentioned him briefly when we looked at verses 1 through 7. Remember, Stephen was one of the leaders that the apostles chose to be an, an early leader in the church. He was one of seven who was chosen to lead the church in Jerusalem. He was appointed to deal with various issues within the church to free the apostles up to pray and prepare and preach the word of God. And after we're introduced to him in Acts chapter 6 verse 5, he then becomes the main focus for the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, if you were to look back at the outline I gave you when introducing this sermon series at the beginning of this study, you'll see that we are at a transitional part of the book. Up to this point, the ministry of the apostles has been in Jerusalem and the primary focus of Luke has been on Peter. Peter was commissioned by Christ to be an apostle to the Jews and that's what he's been up to this point. But here in the next few chapters, we see the focus is beginning to shift away from Peter and his ministry to the Jews and more toward Paul and his ministry to the Gentiles. At the end of of, uh, Acts 7, 
We are introduced to Saul of Tarsus, and he's mentioned again in Acts chapter 8, and then we have his conversion in Acts chapter 9, and then the focus begins to shift toward Paul's ministry. So the first third of the book of Acts focuses focuses primarily on on Peter's ministry to the Jews, and the last two-thirds of the book focuses on Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. You got it? But here in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we learn about Stephen and the fact that Stephen was a bridge between these two great men and their great Ministries. Now, though he, like Peter, ministered to the Jews, remember Stephen was a Grecian Jew. He was not a Hebrew. He was not originally from Palestine. He was a Jewish transplant. And we learn, as we study through these chapters, that Stephen ministered primarily to the Grecian Jews. So Stephen's focus in his ministry, is on making Christ known to these various sects of Jews who were transplants from other areas. They were outsiders in Jerusalem, not originally from Palestine. So there was Peter, get this, let me give you a little timeline here. There was Peter who ministered first. We have his ministry focused upon first, and he ministered in the heart of Jerusalem, mainly to Hebrews, but also to many of these Jewish transplants. And then you have Stephen, who is a Grecian Jew, who ministered primarily to these Jewish outsiders. And then after him, you have Philip, who ministered to the Samaritans. And then Paul, who ministered to Jews outside of Jerusalem and on to the Gentiles. So notice the progression here. We go from Peter to Stephen, and then on to Philip, and then on to Paul. And again, we're going to learn in the next few chapters that Stephen was the catalyst that sent the church out, out from Jerusalem and out into the world. Now, he did it indirectly, okay? All of this happened as a result of him being killed, but he was used by God in this way to push God's message out, the message of the Lord Jesus out, and to advance his kingdom. It was Stephen's death that started this ball rolling. I heard a pastor once say it like this. He said, Stephen was the trigger that shot the church out into the world. That's pretty accurate there. So Stephen was a very important person, a key player in God's kingdom story. His life and ministry, though though brief, is what brings about this transition from Jewish only to Jewish and Gentile Christianity. It's, it's his life and ministry that God used as a catalyst to move his people and his message beyond Jerusalem and onto Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, the earth. And get this, Stephen's life gives proof once again that the effect of a man's life doesn't always have to do with the length of it. You with me? We learned that from Stephen. The effect of, of a man's life, Stephen's life gives proof that the effect of a man's life does not always have to do with the length of it. We learned that from Stephen. His ministry, though short, was pivotal in God's kingdom story. His contribution was great. 
his life and ministry, though short, was full. Just like Jesus. And the impact that Stephen made in his short ministry like Jesus is still felt today. And there are some great truths we learn about Stephen in these eight verses that we're going to discuss this morning. So here's my prayer for you all this morning. My prayer for you is that Stephen's ministry and his death will not be in vain in terms of your own life. I pray that you not let Stephen's life and his death be in vain in your case. But my prayer is that you learn what it is that God wants to say to you and do through you through the life of this great man, Stephen. Remember we said last week, the reason Stephen is appointed in Jerusalem is because the church at this time, they had, they had gotten so big that, uh, you know, with more people come more problems. And so these common issues that came from all these people that were coming in, it, it became too much for the apostles to handle on their own. So they appoint seven men to lead and handle these issues. And Stephen was one of them. And we learn as we read about Stephen's life that Stephen was not just faithful to do what the apostles needed him to do in the church, but he was also faithful to do what Christ had called for him to do as being a witness in the world. We learn in Acts 6 and 7 that Stephen went above and beyond in ministry, which, by the way, that's a great characteristic to look for in a pastor and church leader, right? One that goes above and beyond what is expected. That is true of Stephen. We learn at the end of Acts 6 and in Acts 7, he was a great champion for Christ. He was one of the greatest witnesses for him we have in the scriptures. And though he saw very little fruit from his own ministry, looking back, the impact Stephen made is great. It's obvious. It's un. Question. Now, some have looked at Stephen's life and they've said, man, poor Stephen, you know? I mean, he ministered for just a short period of time. We're not told that anyone responded favorably to his ministry and his message while he was ministering here on earth, though they probably did, which is the reason why they wanted to kill him. I mean, if he wasn't making much of an impact, they wouldn't worry with him, right? So he probably was, but he had a lot of enemies. It seems as if as quick as Stephen rose to a position of leadership, he was put down. He was killed. There are some who think his story is tragic. They think, man, if Stephen would have just kind of dialed it back a bit, he would have just pulled back the reins a bit. He might have lived. He could have gone on to have an incredibly fruitful ministry. Instead, he was like a blazing furnace, extinguished in a short period of time. Think of all the people he could, could have led to the Lord, all the people he could have discipled. Poor Stephen. There are some who think of Stephen in this way. But you see, Stephen understood something that many of us, though we say we understand, do not. He understood his life is in God's hands. And this work that Stephen was involved in, he understood it's on God's shoulders. 
This is God's work. Stephen understood that. Stephen understood that God is behind the success in his ministry. So Stephen took no thought of his own life. He knew his days were numbered by God and he knew that his place in ministry and his impact in ministry were in God's hands. So what did Stephen do? He lived his life for God to the fullest. He lived his life completely sold out, absolutely surrendered to him and he left the results in God's hands. Boy, may that become our perspective. Stephen was great. He was. Not in the eyes of the world. See, the world views Stephen's life as tragic. The world puts men like Stephen, men like Peter, men like Paul down. But God exalts these men and their efforts. In the eyes of God, Stephen was great. Notice three specific things that made Stephen great. Number one, he had great character. He had great character. Let's back up for a minute and look at Acts chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 once again. Notice what Luke says here when recording this. He said, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this is the apostles speaking. Luke's recording it for us. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Now remember, we, we said last week that the church, with all its positives, still had issues. One being this problem here in Acts chapter 6 between the Hebrews and the Grecian Jews. The Grecians felt as if their widows were not being properly cared for. They were not being cared for like the Hebrew widows were. And there was trouble brewing between these two groups. And because of the great number of believers in the church at this time, the apostles felt as if it was a good time to appoint more leaders so the church could be more organized to deal with all the issues that come from a church their size. So we're told that the apostles and the church, they appoint seven men. Of the 15 to 20 to 30,000, however many there were at that time, there were a lot of believers in Jerusalem at this time They chose seven men. And notice whose name is at the top of that list. It says they chose Stephen. Of the thousands to choose from, Stephen is at the top of the list. And we're not told that anyone had issue with any of these men, especially Stephen. That should give you a better idea of the kind of of man that he was. He was number one among thousands. I mean, the great character of Stephen goes without saying at this point, right? We learn in verse 3 that because Stephen was chosen, they believed him to be a solid man of integrity, a man with a good reputation, a man who's solid spiritually, full of wisdom. We're told in verse 5 that Stephen was full of faith, He was full of the Holy Spirit. We're told in verse 8, he was full of grace and he was full of power. Now let's take a moment to kind of break these down for just a minute. Let's look at each of these. First, we're told that Stephen was full of faith. 
Now, we've said this in the past when we're in Ephesians, talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And remember I said that word, translated full, has to do with domination or control. When it says Stephen was full of faith, it means he was completely under the influence of, totally dominated and controlled by faith. How about that? At times, you'll you'll hear someone in the scriptures being referred to as being full of rage or full of sorrow. That means they're completely ruled and controlled by that emotion. That's what that means. It means the scales are tipped one way, all the way. So when we're told that Stephen was full of faith, that means the scales in Stephen's life were tilted completely away from fear and doubt. Faith dominated Stephen's life. He had great faith. He believed and trusted in God. He was dominated by that belief. What did he believe about God? Well, we learn... In the message we're going to look at next week, the great sermon of Stephen, we learned that he believed that God ruled history. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 51. And because God ruled history, Stephen believed God rules us. Therefore, what's there to worry about? That's Stephen's perspective. Not only did he believe that God ruled history, but he believed Jesus was his Messiah. Acts chapter 7, verse 52. And he believed that... Christ has accomplished our salvation and after his death he rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father verses 55 through 56 of Acts 7. Stephen believed. He was a man full of faith and he lived accordingly. He was also spirit filled. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was controlled by, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Remember when we were in Acts 2, we said there's a difference between being sealed with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, you have been sealed. uh, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, be continually filled. There's a difference there. Being sealed with the Spirit refers to our permanent spiritual identity. When we trust in Christ alone for salvation, we are indwelled with, we are sealed with the Spirit. He enters into our life, He makes us one with Christ, and one together as a body of believers. And then we're told that we are to be filled with the Spirit as well. Now, being sealed with the Spirit, that refers to our permanent spiritual identity. Being filled with the Spirit refers to our ongoing spiritual activity. When we learn about Stephen here, not only did he trust God, not only was he sealed with the Spirit, but he lived his life for God. He was filled with the Spirit. He obeyed Him. That right there is the whole of the Christian life, is it not? Trust and obey. Stephen believed God, and he obeyed Him. He was controlled under the influence of, filled with His Holy Spirit. Notice we're also told that Stephen was full of grace. Now, being full of grace could refer to the fact that he was full of God's favor, or it could mean that he lived a life 
for others and showed great grace and favor toward others in need. I like the latter here because notice what we're told about Stephen's life in ministry. He was appointed to serve the apostles by helping to lead God's people so they, they the apostles, could be freed up to pray and prepare and preach. We also learn Stephen went above and beyond in ministry. We've already talked about that by going out and ministering to the Jews throughout Jerusalem. He went out, he preached to them about Christ, and we're told at the end of Acts 7, when Stephen is being stoned to death, he intercedes for his persecutors, just like Jesus, and says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, think about that for a minute. As they're stoning Stephen, and as his body is being broken to pieces, Stephen cried out to God, but he didn't say, Father, help me. No, he says, Father, forgive them. He was full of grace. He's also, verse 8, full of power. Now, where did he get his power from? Back up in verse 5. He was full of the Spirit. Remember, Christ said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you're going to be empowered on high by the Holy Spirit, and then and only then you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Christ was clear that with the Spirit comes power, and we see that in the life of Stephen. He was a powerful witness for Christ, and his life made a powerful impact in his ministry. Notice also that God did powerful works through Stephen to show his approval of his message and messenger. We're told that in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We're told Stephen was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was a man of great character, folks. He was a solid man of integrity with a good reputation, solid spiritually, full of wisdom, full of faith. He was obedient to his Holy Spirit, full of God's favor, full of God's grace. He showed great grace to others, and he was a powerful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a man of great character. He was also a man of great courage. Stephen was a man of great courage. He, he went into hostile environments and he preached Christ unapologetically and with boldness. Notice the accusations made about Stephen. I love this. In verse 13, they said, he never ceases. Isn't that great? Stephen never stops. He never stops ministering for Jesus. He never shuts his mouth about Christ. May that be said of us. You know, it's, it's so easy to just shrink back and quiet down at the first sign of resistance. Stephen doesn't do that in the least bit. He never stopped. He was traveling around preaching at the synagogues. He was an outsider, a Grecian Jew, and he ministered to those on the fringes in Jerusalem, those outsiders in Jerusalem. And many of the leaders of these groups, they got upset with Stephen. Look at verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. See, the synagogues at this time were places where the Jewish communities assembled to read the scriptures together and worship together. And apparently there were quite a few synagogues around the known world, and especially in and around Jerusalem. Some historians have said there were close to 500 synagogues in Jerusalem alone. 
There were synagogues for Libertine Jews. There were synagogues for Cyrenian Jews. There were synagogues for Alexandrian Jews. There were synagogues for Cilician Jews. There were synagogues for Asian Jews. And, and some historians believe that when the Jews traveled from different areas to Jerusalem for special events, they would meet at these, these different synagogues that housed their people because we learn in Acts chapter 1 they spoke different languages, right? So they would assemble with, with their Jews to read the scriptures together and worship God together. Well, apparently, Stephen had been hitting up a few of these synagogues and what he was doing was what they always did. He used the Old Testament scriptures to preach Christ to all of these different groups of Jews and he became such a problem that the leaders from these different synagogues got together and they were going to deal with Stephen. They disputed with him. They argued with him. And I want you to notice something else here. This is just a side note. Notice Luke mentioned Cilicia in, in verse 9. Do you know what city was in Cilicia? Tarsus. You know what famous Jew was from Tarsus? Saul. Saul was, soon to be Paul the Apostle. So it's a very good possibility that, that Saul of Tarsus was with this group at this time that gathered together to dispute with Stephen. We know he was there in, in just a bit. We'll know that he's there because he's mentioned at the end of Acts chapter 7 when they're stoning Stephen in, in Acts chapter 8. And so he's probably there with this group, and they're arguing with Stephen, but notice they're no match for Stephen. Look at verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And some will say, not even Saul, if he was there? Nope, not at this time. Saul wasn't yet a follower of the Lord Jesus. So at this time, if Saul was there, he'd be no match for a spirit-filled man of God like Stephen. They couldn't handle him. And get this, if you can't win an argument, what do people normally do? You attack a person's character, right? That's what they do with Stephen. They couldn't debate with him. They couldn't win an argument, so they attack his character. Look at verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they got men to speak against Stephen and they say he speaks blasphemous words against Moses and God and notice they mention Moses first shows where their priorities are right shows how high they viewed the law because Stephen was saying salvation does not come through the law but through Christ who fulfilled the law and they said he speaks against Moses and because he speaks against Moses, he speaks against God because Moses is God's man. Look at verses 12 through 14. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Sounds like what they did to Jesus, right? There's a lot of similarities in these stories. And they set up false witnesses, same as they did with Jesus who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that 
this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So they attack Stephen's character. They say he's an enemy of Moses. He's an enemy of God. He's an enemy of the temple. He's an enemy of the law. The four pillars of Judaism right there. They said Stephen is an enemy of all these things. They tried to make him sound dangerous. They, they said this man in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which by the way, that was in that day a derogatory way to refer to Jesus from them because they viewed Nazareth as hick town. The idea that a Messiah could come from Nazareth was preposterous to them. They said this man in the name of Jesus is trying to undo all that God did through Moses. He's an enemy of Moses, an enemy of God, an enemy of the temple, and an enemy of the law. So therefore, he is our enemy. They tried to paint Stephen as an enemy of Judaism, a, a leader of this insurrectionist movement. And after all this, do you think Stephen would just dial it back a little bit? I mean, the heat is on, right? Probably knew he was in real danger. Is that what he does? Does he dial it back? No, we'll learn next week in Acts 7. He turns the table on them. He says, you guys are the betrayers. You guys are the murderers. You guys are God's enemy because you have betrayed and murdered the righteous one. You are enemies of God because you have crucified the Lord of glory, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And that right there, after Stephen said that was it, here came the stones, one after another after another after another. Why did Stephen say that? Why didn't he just keep quiet? One word. Courage. Stephen had it. Stephen showed it. He had great character. He was a man full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of faith. He was a man of great courage. And third and finally, get this, he had a great countenance. Stephen had a great countenance. I love this. Look at verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Boy, I love that, don't you? Here they are trying to demonize him, and we're told that as they're doing that, all who sat on the council saw that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. They're trying to make him sound like an evil blasphemer. And here Stephen sits with a holy face. What a rebuke. Now, now, what did his face look like? Well, we don't, we don't know for sure, but I picture something similar to what Moses' face looked like when he returned to the Jewish people after spending time with God and after receiving his laws. Stephen, like Moses had the glow of God on his face. Listen to what Dr. John Polehill of uh, Southern Theological Seminary said about it in the ESV Study Bible. He said this, look at this quote. Stephen's face is described as being like the face of an angel. There was apparently a visible manifestation of the brightness of the glory of God on his face as there had been with Moses in Exodus 34. Moses as he came down from Mount Sinai, was carrying the old covenant with the glow 
of God on his face. And here, notice this, we have Stephen preaching on the new covenant and about how the old is fulfilled in Christ. And God puts that same glow on Stephen. Folks, Stephen was not Moses' enemy. He was God's man. Same as Moses with God's message of fulfillment. Let me close this out by saying this. Sure, there are many of you here this morning who are looking at Stephen's life, looking at Stephen's example in Scripture, and if you're honest, you're you're thinking to yourself, "I, I could never be like him. That could never be me. I could never be like him. I know me, and I know I could never be him. You're you're thinking, why even give us Stephen's example in the scriptures? I mean, the example he said is just too lofty. It is out of my reach. Listen, no, I believe Stephen was one of the greatest men to ever live. I believe that God has given us this account in his word to show us what a Christ-lived, Christ-like life is to look like. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse, verse 24, when he said, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, a life like Stephen is what he had in mind. Though Jesus is the perfect standard for us, though He is who we as believers are to be striving to be like with the help of the Holy Spirit who is in us both to will and to do, Stephen is a wonderful example for us as well, right? And like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I think we can and should apply that to Stephen as well. No, I'm sure if we went around the room this morning, most, if not all of you, would say, I'm nowhere close to Stephen, nowhere close to Paul, nowhere close to Jesus. Let me ask you this this morning. Ask yourself this question. What in your life is keeping you from that? What in your life is keeping you from being a man or a woman that is full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of grace, full of power. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe you value you and your kingdom more than you value God and His. Maybe you love the things of this world too much. Much, much more than you love the things of God. Maybe you have too many doubts, too many fears. You doubt God more than you trust in Him. Whatever it is. I want you to to pinpoint those things. Here this morning and here in just a moment when we have our time of reflection I, I want to challenge you to bring those things before God I want to encourage you challenge you to ask him if he would help you if he would give you the grace you need to be more like Stephen more like Paul more like Christ maybe you're here this morning and and you're nowhere close And the reason why is because you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus. You've never given your life up and over to him. Folks, Stephen and Paul and Peter and the others we have in the scriptures, they all came into this world like everyone else 
sinners, condemned, unclean. But there came a time in their lives when they gave their life up and over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were never the same after that in a great way. And for you to start on the path to be more like Stephen, more like Paul, more importantly like Jesus, you have to first come to the realization that you are come nowhere close on your own there's no way you can attain this by yourself scripture is crystal clear on that your best efforts fall infinitely short of god's perfect standard we need a perfect life we need a perfect sacrifice to be offered up for us for our sin, so that we can be forgiven and counted righteous. And God tells us in his word that we have that in Jesus. Though we have turned away from the God who made us, we have set ourselves against him in our sin, and he has set himself against us because he is a righteous and wrathful God. Scripture also tells us that he's a God of mercy and grace. He sent his son, God the Son, to live the perfect life for us that we could never live and he died the death we deserve to die as our perfect substitute and sacrifice so that we through him could be forgiven of sin and made right with god once again folks that's the gospel right there and if you've never made that decision if you've never made a decision for christ if you have yet to make him the lord of your life now's the time in a moment After I pray, when the music begins to play, I I pray, if you have not, that you would take your first step to Christ-likeness. Step off your throne. Release the grip you have on the reins of your life and give that up and over to the Lord Jesus. If you've never made that decision, I pray you would before you leave here today. Let's pray.